there's a way that the force of disappointment can be alchemized into something that will paradoxically renew you. Martin Scorsese. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings playcast. Oh. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. I'm your host, Jamie Ward. As far as I know, this is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, <laughs> the movie, <laughs> and the Silver Linings Playbook, <laughs> the book. I am so glad. I had a great observation that I want to share with everybody. There, uh, and I'm actually. I know that we said that our goal was going to be put this podcast out on Wednesday nights, Thursday. This is a Thursday podcast, and that maybe we were going to reduce the standard to at least it gets out once a week. And we are. We're still getting out once a week. But I was thinking about why have I been missing missing that uh, uh, Wednesday, let's, let's not call it a goal, let's just say, you know, target optimal range. Right? Because it, it was already started as a losing task. It was supposed to be a Thursday podcast. And I started doing it every Wednesday because I knew I couldn't be trusted myself. This is 91 weeks ago. I knew I couldn't trust myself to do it every Thursday. So I had already set myself up for failure. But when I stepped back and I thought about it, it's actually a really great thing going on right now. This podcast was started two years ago. When the world was shutting down and we were all looking for creative outlets, social outlets to connect with other people. And I basically got the stuff together to start living out a joke that I had joked about and thought about. And I was like, you know, if the world ends, this is the time. Have a podcast about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. And I did it. And I it's really become different things over the... T- the uh, past year and eight ninths that it's been. But what I've realized has been happening in the last couple months, and it's not, here's the important part, it's not a specific distraction. What it is, is I've started living again. I am often going to open mics on Thursday. I've gone to two uh, here um, in Lafayette, Louisiana. I've been back to the one in Duluth in Georgia several times. Thursday's also been a fun night uh, going, going out to, to see some music and sometimes Katie gigs on Thursday. Um, and, and we're just talking about Thursday. But also I've been reclaiming activity all throughout the week. And I'm not saying that I... Every moment of my life is accounted for, and I'm also not saying uh, that I sit around and do nothing, but I am living. And so sometimes, sometimes my podcast doesn't come out at Wednesday at midnight. Sometimes it comes out several days later, and I apologize, but you know what else hasn't happened in a long time? Something that hasn't happened in a really long time is I haven't done a five-minute podcast where I, I said, sorry, I don't have the ability to talk into the ether for five minutes because I'm depressed, because everything is terrible, because the only thing that I had in my life 
was my podcast and I hated it. And I didn't want to be a part of it. So yeah, I'm sorry if anybody is thinking about quitting listening because this podcast has lost the one thing it had going for it, and that was consistency. Not quality, not content, or anything else. But, you know, the one promise we made was we would be here at all, and now we can't even make that promise regularly. But you know what? If that matters to you, maybe you need to think about going out and living as well. Because there is nothing that good about this podcast that is worth waiting at 11.59 on Wednesday to listen to, I mean, the authoritative podcast on Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. That out of the way, let's talk, we got a great episode in store for this week. Uh, We are going to talk about, and I can't believe we didn't do this, we were doing different character actor studies earlier on in the first couple episodes, you know, we did Bradley Cooper, uh, we did Jennifer Lawrence, we did Jackie Weaver, we did Chris, you know, all the other characters. I don't know why it took us this long to get around to doing the, probably the biggest name in all of Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, right? How could we have missed the actor that sort of has more accolades, more uh, a, a more robust filmography than anyone? And that is supporting actor Shea Wiggum, who played <laughs> Jay. I'm just, I'm just kidding. We still, we still do comedy. <laughs> it's okay. That's just good proof that I do spend a lo- plenty of time alone by myself. Sad. Still. Okay. Anyway, no. Check us out. Everything. I'm so off track. All right, here we go. Robert De Niro. Robert Anthony De Niro Jr. How many of y'all knew he was a junior? His father was a painter. What was his name? Trick question, brain game. I said it was Robert Anthony De Niro Jr.'s father. So his name was clearly July. That only makes sense if you were just watching what I was watching on TV. <laughs> All right. He was born on the 17th of August, 1943. He's an actor, producer, and director, and he's collaborated with Mr. Martin Scorsese, who had that opening credit nine times on nine different films. He is a very accomplished actor. Uh, he has two Academy Awards, a Golden Globe, a Cecil B. DeMille Award, Screen Actors Guild, Screen Actors Guild Life Achievement Award. Funny, I always thought it was Lifetime Achievement Award, but apparently it's called Life Achievement Award, like the cereal. Uh, Kennedy Center uh, Honors. It could. I actually typed "word" when I was writing awards, and I was like, "Nope, that's not the right word." I am uh, Kennedy Center Honors from two thousand nine, and one of the things about acting is it allows you to live other people's lives without having to pay the price. That's a that's a senior quote. That's a De Niro quote, but it. From, from the man himself, Robert, and wait, hold, I am having the craziest like brand like what's De Niro? What's Robert? Ro- Robert, Robert, Robert. Yeah, that, that's a quote from him. I don't know. I'm kind of worried about my own mental state right now. I couldn't blank out. I blanked out. I couldn't remember his name. And I was reading it. I was like Robert Anthony De Niro Jr. is on my show notes, and it just didn't sound right. Robert, Rob, Robert De Niro, it's right. <clears throat> All right. He got nipples, and he beat him. There's weird things going on 
uh, in pod space right now. Also, by the way, have y'all seen Game of Thrones? Of course you had, because 2022, and I'm the only one that hasn't. Me and Tim Lulies, right? Uh, I'm I'm just gonna go out on a limb and make some predictions right now. Uh, I'm on season six, episode one through three ish. Um, Podrick, I'm calling I'm calling the balls and strikes for Podrick because nobody ever expects the Squire. Uh, he just he's been learning night ship and. We've got so much to cover. I don't have time to get off on my um, Game of Thrones. Anyway, okay. So Robert De Niro also had Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Barack Obama in 2016. That's the highest honor that a civilian can be given by the government. He was born in Manhattan, New York. His early education includes some very, very, like, classic. This is... This is, like, if you're given every opportunity to make it as an actor, this is the background. Um, he studied at HB Studio, Stella Adler Conservatory, Lee Strasberg Actor Studio. His first film was a 1968 film called Greetings, directed by Brian De Palma and written by De Palma and Charles Hirsch. The interesting thing about this film, it was the first film ever given an X rating by the MPAA. It was later downgraded to an R rating, but I think that's really interesting, um, that the first film that made sort of like a historic impact, a Brian De Palma film, uh, a big Brian De Palma fan, myself, uh, he's made some of, some of my favorite movies, he operates in, in a very scorsese and um, uh, script space, I feel, he's got a lot of sort of mob movies, early, early American history, uh, no, that wouldn't be early American history, because if you say we've been around for like almost 300 years, early American history would be like Revolutionary War, colonial times. Like, run and get me a meat pie! Like, that. that's not even American. I don't know. Um, so I'm thinking more like 1940s, 50s. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Brian De Palma has had quite a career himself. And here's, here's the movies he has made. He started making movies back in, uh, I think... A little, a little before 1968, but this is all the fil- the feature films. We're not counting his documentaries, and he's got some really interesting stuff on here. All right, so starting in chronological order with his feature films only: Murder Alamad, Greetings, The Wedding Party, Dionysus in '69, Hi Mom, Getting to Know Your Rabbit, Sisters, Phantoms of the Paradise, Obsession, Carrie, The Fury, Home Movies. Dressed to Kill, Blowout, Scarface, Body Doubles, Wise Guys, The Untouchables, Casualties of War, The Bonfire of the Vanities, Raising Cain, Carlito's Way, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, I want to clarify, it's Mission colon Impossible. I've always said that Mission Impossible, like it was a name, like, hello, my name's Mission, Mission Impossible, but it's actually, it's, it's Mission Impossible. Sort of like... Um, actually, I don't know what that would be. But I, let's move on. Snake Eyes. That's a Nicolas Cage movie. We gotta bring up a Nicolas Cage. I haven't seen it, but I'd like to. Uh, Mission to Mars. Femme Fatale. The Black Dahlia. Redacted. Passion. Domino. Which is funny, because Domino was the last movie that he's made that uh, came out. 
It was a 2012 movie starring Kira Knightley. It was about the bounty hunter uh, went by Domino Harvey. I loved that movie, um, and studying, I was big into all the the bail enforcement industry at the time. He's, but he does have two. So he hasn't made a movie since 2012, but he has two in the future. Sweet Vengeance is in pre-production, and Catch and Kill has been announced. Okay, so we've talked about all the features Brian De Palma has made. Now, I want to focus on two things that are <laughs> super fascinating <coughs> um, that are not feature films, right? So we're saying that he started his career back in the 60s making movies, but in 1984, he, made, he directed two music videos. And these are not small music videos. He directed the music video, uh, one for Bruce Springsteen for Dancing in the Dark. And this is the, this is the one that gets me. He directed Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Relax, Body Double Version by Brian De Palma. I did not know that. If you knew that, uh, contact us at silverlinksplaycast at gmail.com and I will send you a prize for a contest you didn't even know was going on. Uh, please don't lie. We're going to go on the honor system, but if if you do lie, uh, it'll be worth it to me to send you a prize because that means that somebody listened to this. That got me thinking about different directors that have been like well into their film careers and started making, not necessarily started making, but got hired to make different music video movies because there's actually been plenty of like big Hollywood producers, directors that have worked on music videos. It's funny because when you think about how you get into the film industry, a lot of people usually see music videos as like the entryway into directing features. But I wanted to see who are some of the people that went the other way. Like Zack Snyder is a, um, <clears throat> is a director that, is, that got his start in music videos. And uh, all right, um, breaking news. <laughs> We are recording this at 10 o'clock on Sunday, uh, the 27th of March. The Academy Awards is going on, and we have breaking news, which is very special today because normally the timing of this podcast, but it's actually good. We, we waited this long. So, so true breaking news. Good. Good that it's true, and also sad that we have to say true breaking news because you should just be able to assume breaking news is good. Okay. So, let's get our best announcer voice on. <clears throat> <clears throat> this just in. Will Smith just punched, slapped Chris Rock on live TV at the Oscars over jo Jada Pinkett Smith joke during Chris's monologue? And, yes. <laughs> Hold the... Uh, you um, are holding the... Hold, <laughs> where do we get that expression? Hold the... I have my home phone in the hand. Pause okay, pause everybody, because there's got to be video of this yes. somewhere on... Okay. We'll be back to report on with more information as this developing story develops. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, uh, guys. Hey, fuckers. <laughs> yeah, so apparently on YouTube right now there is a picture of, you know what, we're, we're going to be better media than that. We're not going to sensationalize it. We're not going to, to drag down an unfortunate... Uh, moment that that has been put on display for the world, and I hope everybody comes out of what uh, just happened um, and is able to deal and heal, uh, because I am fans of both of the 
uh, mend it. I'm not going to say what happened, but like, you know, I probably did right before I cut away to break so I could go watch it on YouTube, which makes me just as shitty of a <laughs> consumer as everybody else, all right? But anyway, y'all can look it up. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, so, Brian, <laughs> Brian De Palma, <laughs> Brian De Palma uh, directed two music videos, and I got very excited looking into other directors that had already, that had already become accomplished feature film directors who were then asked to at some point direct music videos <clears throat> and I found a pretty interesting list this is not in any order of precedence of how cool or chronological it's just a fun list but uh, if you're not familiar like I was I was getting into people like Zack Snyder sort of got his start in music videos and then he started he got hired by DC to make a lot of the movies um, and you know I, I know some of our listeners are not a fan I know Nick you're not a super fan um, I'm not a super fan myself of it. Oh, guys, I did I did go see the Spider-Man film last night, and uh, it was it was fine. There was Spider-Man in it. Uh, I don't want to give anything away for anybody who hasn't seen it, but there is approximately two hours of movie footage, and if you sit there, it all happens in front of your eyes, and that is my review. Uh, okay, so here are ten directors who, at one point, directed some high-profile music videos for musicians that you are probably familiar with. Some of these you might know, some of those you might not. Also, it is titled Ten Directors on the website tvovermind.com, but uh, there's only nine on the list. So counting down, number ten, Spike Jones. Uh, who's known for films as Bing John Malkovich, um, directed the music video Buddy Holly by Weezer. He also directed uh, Fatboy Slim's Weapon of Choice and Bjork's It's Oh So Quiet, but uh, Buddy Holly was sort of the music video um, that uh, was the, the quintessential music video of his music video. So actually, like he's clearly a pretty good music video director because... Uh, okay. So this was not intentional, but on this list is also, and this really blew my mind, Martin Scorsese, uh, Bad by Michael Jackson. Heard of that guy? Yeah, he directed The Departed. No, I'm just kidding. Michael Jackson. Um, yeah, th that is probably one of the most impressive music video credits on here by one of the most impressive film directors on this list. Everybody's going to pale in comparison, which is why it's kind of weird that they put that at nine. Uh, okay, so number eight, Mark Romanek is the director, and he directed the music video Closer by the Nine Inch Nails. Mark Romanek's uh, film film credits include Static, a 1985 film, and One Hour Photo with Robin Williams, which I have not seen, but I would like to because I've heard it is um, a movie. No, what I've heard about it is that it, it was when Robin was going through uh, branching out and doing some sort of like genre films that were a little that were a deviation from from his sort of happy-go-lucky Disney dad um, or more comedy roots and apparently I've heard I've heard somewhat mixed reviews but people love the time he spent in the other genre space as well and and I love him I think we all love him so much that and so I would be very curious to go back and see some of those I have not I have not seen uh, 
some of his more serious films. Okay, number seven, John Landis, Thriller by Michael Jackson. So another, another uh, very iconic job. John Landis, this is almost equally as impressive to me as Martin Scorsese. This is one... Look how much uh, money and influence, and I, I'm not using that in a bad way, actually, um, that, that Michael Jackson had to get like these incredible film directors. If you don't know the name John Landis, John Landis uh, directed Animal House, which is probably one of the most classic comedy films of all time, as far as like starting, starting the whole sort of uh, young adult slapstick, gross-out, college sex comedy. Type thing. He also directed uh, the Michael Jackson's Black or White video, but I think that we, we, it would be hard to argue unless you were sort of uh, on a Michael Jackson podcast. Um, the thriller would probably just be the more more iconic of the two, even though he we uh, fantastic artist, wonderful career, um, definitely miss having that light in the world. Number six, Michael Gondry directed the music video Come Into My World by Kylie Minogue. Um, I'm not sure if I know, if, if it's the one that I know her from the thing, then I don't know the name of the song, then that's the one. If it's not, it's not. Michael Gondry also didn't recognize the name originally, but he was a French director, and he directed movies that I did recognize, Be Kind, Rewind, the Science of Sleep, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So we're talking about, there's, these are pretty established good directors doing this kind of stuff. Okay, number five, McGee. I'm going to spell it, capital M, lowercase c, capital G. That's the name. I had never heard this name before, but he directed uh, Santeria by Sublime. Upon further research, McGee stands for Joseph McGinty Nickel. And he was a director of films such as Charlie's Angels, Terminator Salvation, and some other things that were like franchises I recognized, but episodes I didn't. Number four, Sofia Coppola, who directed I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself by The White Stripes. Sofia Coppola, uh, of course, directed um, Lost in Translation. She's been a, a uh, sort of a powerhouse. and um, not, not powerhouse is not the word I'm looking for, but a... a groundbreaking uh, female filmmaker. Again, like hate, hate having to say that way, but that is part of her credits. She's been the first to accomplish a lot of wonderful things for women in film, and we all know her definitely uh, for having directed the best of the Godfather trilogy. Uh, number three. That was 100% a joke, too. Now, now I sound awful because I'm going back and being like it was... No. The... I wish I didn't say that, but also I stand, I stand by my podcast. Hate me if you want. Uh, number no. three, <laughs> Gus Van Sant, Under the Bridge by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I love, love this one because I see it. I this is actually the most in, the not interesting. I'm not going to keep reusing that phrase, but I'm going to say if you're familiar with the work of Gus Van Sant, and I'm. I'm a little familiar with it. I've seen a couple of his movies. I would love to see more because I love him. I really, really like everything I've seen by him. And I think you can see the most Gus and his filmmaking in the Under the Bridge music video. Um, where some of these others, like you you might know, hey, there's great production value. This The cinematography is good. But I don't... I 
And I don't know this. Okay, so, like, I haven't seen, uh, watched some of Michael Jackson's videos in a long time, but I wonder if I went back and I watched Thriller, would I be like, I see John Landis filmmaking it? Maybe. I, I don't remember, but I definitely know instantly, instantly. Uh, uh, Chili Peppers Under the Bridge, that, if you tell me that's a Gus Van Sant film, I'll be like, of course it is. I see it. And number two, which is as high as we're getting on this list because there was only nine. Maybe I misread the title. Uh, F. Gary Gray, It Was a Good Day by Ice Cube. Um, so that was quite a... I, uh, I don't 100% um, understand what uh, my point was with the music video thing, but anyway, I just felt like we had to... Oh, oh, I remember. It was the most... It, that, I found it so interesting, because if you look at Brian De Palma's... I love Brian De Palma. And the first Brian De Palma film I ever saw was The Untouchables, um, with Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. And I, I love it, because this is just another example of Sean Connery being... One, he was awesome, but he also was one of those characters who's like, you could cast him in all these different roles, and he sort of would be like, I'm not going to not pretend to be Sean Connery. Um, because I forget where his character was supposed to be. I think he was, I think he was supposed to be Irish, or um, from the UK, uh, British. The, the reason I'm saying that is because I think we all know Sean Connery is, was Scottish, um, but it's like he did not change his accent at all <laughs> trying to there and my favorite one like yes i love i love the untouchables because he's always just be like i'm irish and like like you're not you're not even pretend and, and he was the highlander he's like i'm the spaniard and you're like you're not but the best one the best one was is like a a super dated, culturally insensitive film. I forget what it's called. It's called something like The Wind and the Rose, or The Lion and the Rose, and it is about, I believe, World War One. It's sort of like Lawrence of Arabia period, and he is all dressed up in um, the uh, the like tribal, I'm, I'm guessing like Bedouin uh, clothing with the, the um, headdress, and he's just and uh, in the trailer for it, if you watch like the 60s trailer for it, it's just like, and starring Sean Connery. And it's just like, in, in the name of Allah. And he just, like, he says it in, <laughs> in his exact same Sean Connery accent. <laughs> but yeah, The Untouchables was, was the first uh, one of my films. I watched that in film school, and I used to rent it from the library on VHS tape. Um, and I just thought it was so cool because you had these four guys. And it was really interesting. Wait, and Rob, Robert De Niro was in that one, too. He plays Al Capone. Um, uh, so De Palma has directed a lot of films that I really like. You can tell he does a lot of mob ones. Uh, Scarface, Wise Guys, The Untouchables, Carlito's Way, Mission Impossible, uh, which I guess is not a... Um, uh, a mob film. Uh, you have The Black Dahlia, uh, which was, I believe, a 1920, 19, 2009 film. 
uh, about the Black Dahlia murder in Los Angeles, and that was, I remember, I've been looking for a documentary on it, I'm going to be honest, I'm, I wasn't looking for a documentary on it, uh, when I looked up the filmography of Brian De Palma, I've forgotten that he had directed that movie, and that reminded me that that was a very interesting story, even though it was like a widely panned film. I probably liked it. I think it came out around the same time L.A. Confidential did. And it was, you know, it was like a, it's based on a true story. It had that um, sort of neo-noir filmography, not uh, cinematography. And I really love noir and I really love uh, neo-noir. It got pan, the the reviews are bad. I was on IMDb and I was looking, it's got like 2.9, which would be great if that was out of three, but it's not. It's out of 10. So that's really low. So I guess context is everything. <laughs> um, but definitely. Uh, it's And it's such an interesting story. It's tragic. There's not like an authoritative bit. I wish the movie did better. Because part of me wants to watch it. But part of me remembers it was probably not good. Nor worth watching. But I want the reason I want to watch it is because it's such an interesting story. It's been referenced so many times. Katie actually had a great idea. She was like, that should have been a Mindhunter thing. And that's what, that's what they need to do with Mindhunter. They need to go back. Because historically, it would have happened before the Atlanta uh, child, the Atlanta ch- children murders. But um, they totally could have gone back. back, uh, back. It's not even like a flashback. Just sort of been like, oh, this is a historic season. Um, but then they could have flashed forward to finish the Dennis Rader uh a story. Um, that was such a good show. It's been addressed in certain in episodes of different true crime shows. It's been alluded to in many, and it's just, it's such an interesting case. And I'm talking. I'm going to refer to the real life case. And I, and I also need to preface right now. This is very important. Anybody listening? Okay. Beep beep beep. This is a legal disclaimer. I am not a lawyer. I am not a detective. I am not accusing anybody. I don't even know what legal disclaimers you need to make when you're about to talk to m- about murder on a podcast. But nobody that I've mentioned has been proven of any wrong thing. I'm not slandering anybody. I've listened to enough like true crime crime podcasts. I should know. Like, I, if memory serves me, a lot of them don't even have disclaimers. There's unsolved mysteries, and they just are naming names left and right. Maybe that's how few people listen to podcasts. Like, nobody's ever sued. I guess, though, I guess, though, it would look really bad for you if you were listening to podcasts with an episode that you were a suspect of being a serial killer on. And let's just use my name hypothetically, because I know that I'm legally allowed to do that, even though my name is owned by several other, many other people, because it's a common name, and most of them are way more famous than I am. So I'm talking about Jamie Ward uh, from Georgia-Louisiana-formerly from Boston, from Korea. If there's another one of those, they're probably not. All right, so that Jamie Ward, when we say Jamie Ward, that is the only Jamie Ward we're referring to, right? But let's say we're listening to uh, True Crimely Crime Podcast, the only podcast talking about true crime, the movie, and the, the, the true crime, the show, book. And, and the host, his name is uh, um, Billy D. Williams, not related to the actor. And it's like, hey, hey, everybody, we're studying the, the Boston, uh, Boston train killer, uh, and it's suspected it's, it's Jamie Ward. If I called in to complain to be like, hey, you unfairly used my name and I'm suing you, um, 
Like, yes, I might have a little bit of legal standing for libel or slander. I don't remember which one because I'm not a lawyer. But it would also look really bad that I was looking up every podcast that, that my name was specifically brought up on and then just being like, hey, by the way, I'm not that. You see what I'm saying there, right? Like, it, like it's not evidence, but it definitely would sound fishy if, if like, nobody was asking, hey, are you the Boston train killer? And I'm just like, hey, by the way, I'm not the Boston train killer. Like, if, if that was the kind of thing I said when I was introducing people, like, hey, good to meet you. Because I've been meeting a lot of new people here in Louisiana, right? Like, I've been going to the comedy scene, and I've been meeting plenty of comics for the first time. If I introduce myself, I was like, hey, uh, oh, where are you from? Good to meet you. Yeah, my name's Jamie. I'm from Boston. I didn't kill anybody on a train. If you say something like that really specifically, that's just going to make people think, like, why... Did you say that you don't have to confess all the things you didn't do when you meet somebody? So that's my point about pointing out why there's a podcast. Anyway, back to the original thing. Um, all the names that I say for the next half an hour are probably innocent people, unless one of them killed killed the girl from the Black Dahlia murders. Okay, which, by the way, her name was not Dahlia. Uh, if I had done even the least bit of research on this, I probably could have find, found out why it's referred to as the Black Dahlia murder and not the, little, the Elizabeth Short murder. Elizabeth Short was the woman who was murdered in 1947. She was 22 years old. It's 2022 right now. That does not mean it happened 100 years ago. That's not how the math works. Anyway, um, originally, uh, everyone that... Uh, w that knew Miss Short in any way was a suspect the first time. Um, okay, we might have some more breaking news. Let me look up. Uh, yes, uh, uh, wait, hold on. Um, I am going to be reading this, but I'm going to hum a tune because I'm not sure yet whether this podcast, uh, th this text is appropriate for airing. If it is, I'll pass the information on. And if not, you can hear humming and I paraphrase because I think it will be, I think it will be relevant to what we're talking about. <laughs> All right, this is I this totally cuts the mustard for being able to be airworthy. Uh yeah, but but the way that information passes around so quickly, someone could Google and find you and tell you and have you hire, have to hire a lawyer because it's not the podcast host who you have to be worried about. It's the internet Gestapo. Uh, and why haven't people started picketing signs with Google but then spelling, spelling Gestapo but with the Google letter? They probably have, too. I don't want to keep up <laughs> events, right? But it makes sense, right? Like, that's a very internet protesty type of things to do. And it does, look, dude, everybody's listening, right? Why can't I have, listen, if, if Apple counted all the NSA wiretaps that, that my microphones probably get as listeners, I would have the number one podcast on Spotify. But instead, I have yet to uh, have more than three. So, unless one of the three of you, one of you is in, I don't want to say what country, but it's not untied water, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, try to solve that. Riddle me that, Batman fans.
untied water, what is what country am I talking about? That's the opposite. You're not in un Thailand. Okay, shut up. Y'all are stupid. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Uh, okay. Anyway, Elizabeth Short was was uh, everybody in her life was considered a suspect until it was reduced to a pool of about 24 people. 60 people confessed. <laughs> I'm so, I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing that she died. It was a grisly, gruesome murder. It's so sad. Um, I'm. Maybe she's not dead. I'm just laughing at the fact that 60 people admitted. Because normally, if you kill somebody, you don't want to admit that. If I died and like extra people were being like, "Yeah, I killed him," how popular could you? That's this is terrible. Why am I laughing this hard? Is this the first time anyone's laughed this? I just, I can't. I can't. Why? I realize. This is a thing I don't like too. That I, th I think we all have this bad feeling that like everybody wants attention now. We're in this. We're in the selfie generation. All we do is care about ourselves. All, everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame. This happened back in 1947, and 60 people confessed to a murder they didn't like. We're actually not that bad. Our generations just try to be like, oh, guess what? I'm I'm best friends with Shaq because I got a selfie with him. At, at, like, that's not as bad. Nearly, Shaq? like, yeah, yeah, like, try, just lying about being friends with a celebrity, that's, our generation is so, imagine if during the O.J. Simpson trial, like, teens all over the internet on TikTok were just being like, I killed them, like, that, 60 people confessed to In killing, like, yeah, they didn't even have TikTok back, then. you know what they had, they had the Los Angeles Times, <laughs> So, yeah, let's go over some of the suspects who none of them have been proven to do it. I'm sure they were either nice people, bad people, or uh, neutral. So the, the, the consolidated list of suspects, who was generally whittled down from the thousands of people that Miss uh, Short knew, and part of, part of the reason she knew so many people, she was in L.A. to become an actress, and then there's, there's theories that she had worked as a call girl at different points or something, um, there's, uh, theories that she got involved in organized crime. There's actually, uh, so anyway, here's the names. If you, hey, and if any of y'all happen, if the three of y'all happen to know any of these people randomly from Los Angeles from 1940s, uh, and you have a hot tip that for some reason you didn't want to call into any of the true crime podcasts or the actual police departments but you're waiting and somehow my emotional appeal to solve this unsolved mystery from 70 years ago pulled at that heartstring to be like you know what i'm gonna do my civic duty and i know one of these people um and because y'all are probably not 80 or 90 yourselves you met a really old person i don't i don't know maybe you're working at a nursing home or something and someone was just like by the way I'm the Black Dahlia killer. Um, even though that, if now that we're looking at the statistics, more people were confessing than actually did it. So maybe you should, either, if you have a hot tip, hot you, you can, you can contact us, but also don't feel like you have to, because what am, uh, we're not, we're not trying to change the world here at the Silver Lines Playcast. We're just trying to make sense of it. We're just trying to help every day be a little bit better. Get to living. Don't report it to us. Go catch them yourself.
Don't, don't, don't. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not endorsing going to catch the black... Okay. Let's get to the list of names. Carl Balsiger. C. Walsh. That's C dot, like the letter C dot Walsh. Um, and these are all from the LA Times from 1947. Uh, Sergeant Chuck. Real name, unknown. Uh, if his real name was unknown, I'm not sure why he went by Sergeant Chuck. Um, also, uh, if he really is named unknown, then he is responsible for like half the quotes we have used at the beginning of our podcasts. John D. Wade, Joe Scalas, Scalas. I'm sorry if I mispronounce these names. Also, but like I, if I mispronounce the name, but you do in fact happen to be the killer, then I'm not as sorry because I feel like mispronouncing your name is not as big of a moral infraction as killing a woman. Uh, Maurice Clement. This is my favorite one. Uh, the suspect's name is just a Chicago police officer. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if that's a reference to a. I think they should have said a a certain Chicago police officer, <laughs> or because when you just read the list, a Chicago police officer. That's that's like it could have been any of them. <laughs> like just a. It didn't even happen in Chicago. Like it happened in in Los Angeles, <laughs> but. Which is funny because I know they have to admit a, a Los Angeles police officer doesn't even make the list of a murder that happened in Los Angeles. <laughs> but a Chicago, I'm not. This is why is this the funniest thing? To, it's not. It's tragic. It's dark. There's pictures of the murder scene online. It's gruesome. It's disgusting. It's sad. I'm not making light of this. Uh, we're just laughing so that we don't cry. All right, more suspects. <laughs> Salvador Torres Vera. Dr. George Hodel. <laughs> which is only funny because that's four of the same five letters from uh, a, um, what's, a Game of Thrones character, right? Lannister. I'm just kidding. Marvin Margolis. Glenn Wolf. I wonder if that's a uh, relation to Dick Wolf. If it would, that would be very ironic because... <gasps> What if Glenn Wolf was Dick Wolf's father? Glenn killed somebody, which is what made his son want to executive produce a show called Law and Order. Dun dun. I do stand by that. Th I don't know. We'll we'll go more into that uh, at some point. We'll. Well, first we have to find out if Glenn Wolf actually has any relation to Dick Wolf. Um, more suspects: Michael Anthony Atero. Uh, George Bacos, Bacos, Francis Campbell. Um, this okay. So this next one, this comes from the official police suspect list. I'm not saying their name. No, I mean like I'm just I'm just reading off the official documents. Okay, queer woman surgeon. Again, I have questions about the ambiguity of this title. Uh, there's no commas in this, so I'm guessing it's queer woman surgeon. It's not... You see, you see where I'm getting a little thrown off by the modifiers? Queer woman surgeon. Queer woman surgeon. Okay, I, let's not get too into that. I, if I, You know, I, I, I'm perfectly fine to get canceled, but when I do, I want it to be worth it for something. Uh, okay. Dr. Paul DeGaston, Dr. A.E. Bricks, Dr. M.M. M. Schwartz, 
Dr. Arthur McGinnis fought. Dr. Patrick S. O'Reilly. I also feel like this is pretty bad if it's suspected that maybe as many as six different doctors get, like, if they can't even figure out which doctor may have killed. What was this woman doing? I'm not, and I'm not trying to victim shame here. I'm just curious. This is one of the reasons I'm so curious. This is so fascinating to me that, like, they suspect it could have been one of the doctors that killed her, but, like, they don't, I don't, I don't understand. I'm, let me, let's keep going on. Dr. Pack, Pat, Patrick, <laughs> Dr. Patrick S. O'Reilly, Mark Hansen, uh, and here's here's one Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, which is considered unlikely. This was dismissed in in the very early days of the investigation uh, by investigator Daniel S. Voorhees. Voorhees being the last name of, I believe. Uh, one of the, you know, what, Jason? Or is it Michael? Or was it Freddy? Which one of them had a last name? I'm sure that's not related, though, because those weren't real people. Oh, was it... It could have been Texas Chainsaw Voorhees. It Voorhees. Petsima Voorhees. Carrie Voorhees, Pet Simic Voorhees 2, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, The Shining Voorhees, Predator Voorhees, Night of the Living Voorhees, Dead, Children of the Voorhees, Scary Stories to Tell in the Voorhees, Mid Voorhees Somar, Black Voorhees. Which actually could be a reference to Severus Scary. That was as many uh, horror movies as I could think of off the top of my head. So let's do a little bit deeper dive into some of these actual suspects to see if we can't uh, progress this case a little further, even though we've done no actual research ourselves. All we've done is read some quick articles on the situation. Uh, but apparently, something that happened in this case, not only was there a billion suspects, not literally a billion, but a lot of suspects from the original time this happened, but there was an investigation take that, that happened in 1996 uh, by a Los Angeles Times uh, writer. Um, and and this is, since this has been an unsolved case for over half a century, a lot of people have devoted you know, a lot of different um, investigation into it. So, so now there is a more consolidated, more recent list of suspects that people are a little more, um, a little more suspicious of, and there's a little more detail, uh, and the list is a little smaller. So let's look into some of these. Walter Bailey, who was an L.A. surgeon. Larry Harnish, uh, an L.A. Times copy editor and writer, began studying the case in 1996. In devising his theory... Uh, Harnish consulted retired FBI profile profiler John E. Douglas, who advised that the very public location of the dump site was significant, since the killer had the ability to transport the body to a more remote, remote site, where it may not have been discovered. The site was one block away from the property owned by Bailey's estranged wife, Ruth. Douglas also advised that the facial lacerations indicated personal anger towards the victim. Short would often falsely tell men that she had a son who had died tragically. 
Bailey did, in fact, have a son who was struck by a car and killed at age 11. The deceased child's birthday was January 13th. Short's body was discovered on January 15th. Um, so that is one of the people that is on the suspect short list. Next one, Norman Chandler, uh, who was a publisher of the LA Times. I'm actually not, so this is another little research thing that I could have done that I didn't do. Uh, I abbreviated it in my show notes, LA Times, in all the articles I read, it was referred to as the Los Angeles Times. I'm not sure if there's actually a paper called the LA Times being different from the Los Angeles Times, but just as that little, little disclaimer, I am, every time you hear me refer to LA Times, I'm just using LA as the nickname, uh, the official source that was cited in all my research was uh, a reference to a uh, daily newspaper called the Los Angeles Times. Norman Chandler was a publisher, was the publisher from 1945 to 1969. Nice, right? Well, not if he's the killer. Uh, and as a suspect who, um, who may have impregnated Short while she was working as a call girl and was one of a complex multitude of perpetrators who might have actually been, you know, like, responsible for, for having her, um, for winding up dead, but in a theory involving her being killed by a uh, notorious gangster of the time, Bugsy Siegel. New suspect. Leslie Dillon was a 27-year-old bellhop, aspiring writer, and former mortician's assistant. Mortician's assistant. That's not magician's assistant. Uh, magician's assistants get sawed in half. Mortician's assistants saw you back together. No, that's a terrible... Uh, no. No, I'm sorry. Uh, he, he sort of uh, erased, arised... He... Hmm, how would you say arised... Arised suspicion is not the proper way to say it. He piqued the curiosity of investigators when he began writing to L.A. police psychiatrist, Dr. Jean... No, 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 no. Dr. J. Paul DeRiver in October 1948. He said his friend Jeff Connors should be looked into, and that led on a wild story where the... Police and the FBI then wanted to... Um, they didn't believe there was a Jeff Connors. They felt like this was sort of... Um, who... I'm blanking. Who is the killer... The other killer movie? Robert Downey Jr. Not. It wasn't just a movie. It was a real person. The word Spectre keeps coming to my head. It's not... Zodiac. Uh, right? So... So what the the authorities originally believed was Leslie Dillon may in fact be related to the murder and that he was making up Jeff Connors. So they had arranged, because he said he didn't want to come to L.A. to meet them uh, to talk, but he would be willing to talk. So they, they gave him three different cities that they could set up a meeting for, and a lot of drama happened, right? So I can't, I don't even have time to get into it. We might do an episode completely just on uh, the the story of Leslie Dillon, because even if he did it, didn't do it, or his friend did it, or didn't do it, it is quite a story in and of itself. It is an impossible mission to see. I'm just trying, that was working too hard to tie in things we'd said earlier in the podcast onto that. New suspect. Joseph A. Dumai. 
I want to say Dumas, but I don't think that's... I've, I've seen... It's Joseph A. And then his last name is capital D-U-M-A-I-S. Uh, he was a 29-year-old soldier from Fort Dix, New Jersey, who confessed a week after the murder. He was cleared of it when it was discovered he was in New Jersey at the time. But he kept claiming to be the perpetrator. Uh, he has gone. He went on to to have a life of, of multiple arrests, and every time he was arrested, he would claim to also have uh, murdered Elizabeth Short, which is not a good idea. If you get arrested for something small, don't confess to larger crimes. Also, if you're in the army they probably are going to have a good record of you not being on the other side of the country if, in fact, you... Uh, unless... Unless you happen to be stationed at Fort Hood. And I don't mean that as a joke. I mean that is a very, very tragic fact. Uh, they need to get their... get their stuff together. Did I remember to say that there was going to be strong language and violent uh, imagery in this episode? I apologize if anybody made it this far and is squeamish, but, like, also if you made it this far... Um, and were bothered by any of it, but didn't turn it off, I'm going to say a little bit of that accountability falls on you. I'm not trying to be that kind of person, but come on. We're all, like, Silver Linux Playbook was rated R. Uh, the book is definitely adult fiction. There's cursing in it. There's sexual situations. It, no, actually, there's not. Well, there's, there's, there's talk about, there's, there's talk about adult situations. They mention sex, but there's no, any, uh, okay, so there was that, that, um, there's many more suspects in the Black Dahlia murders. There is, uh, several famous people who were on the suspect list at one point. Um, we've mentioned a couple times Bugsy Siegel, Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, uh, Orson Welles, the very famous author, writer, filmmaker, um, you know, Citizen Kane, uh, um, Woody Guthrie, uh, the musician, was on the list of possible uh, um, suspects. So, you know, I guess it could have really been... It could have been anybody. And I, I think it, it was one of the first high-profile murders. Um, it, it's referred to as, like, the most famous crime in the post-World War II era of the time. It was the murder of a young woman who had gone to Hollywood to chase what we thought was the American dream at the time. Our country had been in a Great Depression that was literally called the Great Depression. It was a time in history which has been labeled after Depression. And then there was a war that was worldwide. It was the second one. We may be even about to have the third one. And when it was over, you know, I think we all know now that war is a terrible thing and it has a lot of negative impacts on people. But at the time, uh, when we didn't have as much access to social media, when the news and word of mouth, radio, maybe a little bit of film, was the only way to get mass media messages out to the public, um... Scandalous, salacious crimes like this uh, were entertaining and captivating. 
and the fact that uh, so many people have stayed obsessed with this murder for, you know, the last over, over half a century. M numerous people have written books on it. Uh, lots of online documentaries have been made. A, a full Hollywood film was made. And yet people are more interested in satisfying their own itch to to be a part of the solution and figure out what happened. I mean, even I fell into that trap. I started this part. And, and yes, I do operate on a script sometimes to know what I want to talk about and to have facts, but it's not a script in the sense of like every word that I'm going to say is is you know written out and then we had our breaking news about celebrity scandal at the beginning of this and at first my first reaction was to laugh and then i was instantly sad and then then i was instantly embarrassed that i had even done in my very small part like i i felt like i wanted to talk about it to to instantaneously you know as soon as it happened i turned around and it was like here now you have have the civil lining playcasts take on on the scandal it's just you know it's it's uh just like how in um silver linings playbook the neighbors you know bradley cooper's character uh pat gets in a fight with his dad patrizio and the alarms start going all off and down the neighborhood and the cops get called and everybody goes out on the front lawn to see what happens because because we are drawn we are drawn to scandal and we're drawn to drama and we're drawn but also do we care about helping these people right am i am i just using a fascinating unsolved murder from 1947 to give myself a platform to have an interesting conversation because i don't feel like i'm an interesting person do i really care about justice for this young woman who i don't know um you know what led to what happened and i don't know who did it but i know i do know who didn't do anything to stop it i didn't and you probably didn't and and it sucks that we live in a world where where you and i probably didn't do anything and maybe we could have saved a life and maybe we couldn't have and maybe it happened before we were even born and we can brush it off and be like, it's not our fault. But also, you know what? Maybe it is all of our faults. Maybe we all did it. Maybe we all took the life of Elizabeth Short. Because we all buy the media that makes Hollywood the dream death trap that it is. We all absorb movies. I never even put this together, but that little scandal that I talked about at the beginning of this podcast, it happened at the Academy Awards, which is going on right now. We put Hollywood up on this pedestal like it is perfection, and then we let them, we give them our dollars, and we reward them for them telling us what perfection is like. And then you have young people, starry-eyed dreamers, go west looking to become part of that dream, leaving whatever life they had behind, hoping that they can become something that one day everybody will love. And we don't think twice about just being part of the machine that eats them up and chews them out. So let's look at our ourselves. 
why would so many people be drawn to confess to a crime that they didn't commit because they all wanted a little piece of it? But why, why do all of us not confess to the crime? Maybe we are the killer, collectively. Not the literal killer, but maybe in some way. Maybe in some way we all did it. Sorry to be, be ending this episode on such a downer, but I don't think it is a downer because I think it gives us the opportunity, like, we have to find the healing. And the first thing we do, Cliff Patel tells Pat that, Dr. Dr. Patel, you have to admit there's a problem. Maybe you blacked out. I don't know. Because remember, Pat didn't think that he was the kind of person that could do bad things. And he went into a fugue state when he finds his wife is cheating on him with, uh, with, with the history teacher. And he beats him up. And that's why he gets arrested. And he goes, he goes to, uh, you know, the institution. Maybe we're all capable of great wit wickedness. And I'm not saying me, like, this is not a confession of it. I wasn't alive then. But I'm alive now. I'm as alive as I've ever been. And so I want to apologize on behalf of all of us. Uh, don't, don't buy into media. That's why this podcast will always be free. I don't want to be part of the media. And if we ever do get enough followers, we will only charge just, you know, not to make profit, but to keep the people uh, that would would want to take, 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 but would not enjoy what it is. Um, we just want to keep them from diluting what this, this is and become. And like if enough people were willing to do that, then we might uh, charge more. And only the only reason I'm saying that is because like people always want free media. We don't want to pay for our news. How many clickbait articles have you read from a news source? And then there's a paywall that says, like, oh, subscribe to the New York Times. Subscribe to The Economist. Subscribe to the LA Times for, for the rest of the story. And what is the rest of the story? We are the rest of the story. Why has this gotten so philosophically existential at the end? Because we are all part of our own story. Now I feel like I, and I wanna, I wanna assure you, all right? I'm, I'm gonna say something that sounds like a joke and then I'm gonna explain why I'm, why I'm saying it. Penis, okay, I said that because I wanted to break the tension because I realized that I sounded like I was trying to purposefully make this too dramatic and mean something at the end, and that was never my intention. Uh, it is, but I'm not. I'm not upset about it either. This podcast is as it always has been. It exact. It is exactly what it is, and it is however I am at the moment of recording it. Saying penis randomly is a very classic comedy rule. Um, not rule, but it's like you know a game where people say say it in the most. Uh, inopportune opportunity. That sounds like it's a weird little rhyme. But it's not, it's not goofy. Anyway, yeah, so I said it to break the tension, to bring us back out, okay? Guys, we've been, we've been in the deep space long enough. It's time to come back to reality because it's not, 
not a podcast about unsolved crime. There's enough of those. We don't want to be the same podcast that everybody else is. We want to be different. And I think, I think we've done a good job of being different because as far as I know, uh, we are the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. And we are going to be here next week and every week, as long as I decide to keep doing this, um, with, with all the latest and greatest on Silver Linings Playbook. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for your continued support. If this is your first one to listen to, uh, then your first support, hopefully you'll be back. And if you're not, hopefully you won't tell people bad things about it. Uh, or maybe because sometimes that might actually be a better word of mouth than no word of mouth. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to the Silver Linings Playcast. As far as I know, it's always the, it's, it's, uh, you know, you know what it is. All right. So until next time, we will see you down the road and excelsior. He's kind of crazy, she's a little insane. Keeping Kenny G really messes with his brain. One is divorced, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings play cast.